Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Line Trust, specialist fund managers. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Total Football. FA Cup and Premier League were spliced together in a footballing mashup this weekend. We're delighted to be here to talk you through all of the major stories. Spurs, Manchester United, Southampton and Chelsea are your cup semi-finalists in a great weekend for the overdog. Meanwhile, back in the world of league football, Liverpool gave Watford a resounding thrashing while Palace and Everton eased fears of dropping into the Championship. What's wrong with the Championship, you might ask? Absolutely nothing, I would reply. And to demonstrate the fact, we'll speak to Caroline Barker to hear how it's all shaking up in the second tier. Plus, a cursory nod towards our old friend International Football, which returns in the coming days. Jeremy Wilson gives us the lowdown on England, Wales and their forthcoming friendlies. But first, back here in the Telegraph's audio recording facility, I'm joined by your friend and mine. It's the Telegraph's Alan Tyres. Alan, how are you? Hi, Tom Gibbs. I'm good. Thank you. Are you Thanks feeling, for having me. Are you feeling positive about the FA Cup? Very much so. Uh, just great to see a few of the little guys getting a, a chance just for a change. <laughs> well, we'll start with uh, what was a Radiohead-inspired weekend of no surprises in the Cup. Um, let's, let's start with Manchester United, who uh, beat Brighton 2-0. Mourinho, we we talk about him every week. He says something newsworthy every week. It's slightly tedious, but this was, again, a weird move from him after the match, wasn't it? He said Matic was an island of class and personality, which is a profoundly strange thing to say about a footballer. Um, But he was pretty scathing about his other players as well, wasn't he? Is that a bit passé? what Jose's doing there. You don't see sort of Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp singling out other players in the way he does. Yeah, and it is a tried and failed method for him, isn't it? Um, after what happened at Chelsea. It, it does seem very strange and unlikely to succeed, I think, but he he does have his methods. Um, an island of personality is a great expression. I'd like to see that used more. <laughs> I thought it was quite interesting on Match of the Day when um, Martin Keown was asked, you know, what would you do as a as a senior player? Would you get in that dressing room and... And the the implication of the question was that that it was up to the senior players to sort this out. But Martin interpreted it as sort of saying, well, actually, I'd just go out and do it on the pitch so that I wouldn't get shouted at by Mourinho, which I thought was really odd. It seems like 
mean, you know, maybe in, Martin Keown seems like a, not that doesn't really seem like the sensitive type, does he? But maybe it does really affect players. So it's you know? surprising in that he immediately put himself in the shoes of the player who is being criticised. Right, exactly. And you know, may, you know, maybe it does. Maybe it does have an impact on them negatively. You've got to think so, haven't you? There have been times though recently with Mourinho where it's felt like he has had a little bit of a point. There was that uh, slightly, um, well. F- Far too long rant on uh, Friday in his press conference. Twelve minutes uh, in which he kind of defended himself as he uh, as he loves to do. Um, he did have a point with some of that, though, didn't he? Uh, broadly, he was saying he inherited quite a lot of dross with his players, and he has signed better players. You can't argue with that too much. No, but um, what is strange? The the player that's most interesting for me in that in all that is the McTominay, who he's using instead of Paul Pogba, and it feels. Almost as if it's one of those sort of like a kind of old fashioned British gaffer going, right, look at McTominay, do what he does, as if he's sort of picked him almost to shame Paul Pogba into being better. Well, what do you make of McTominay as a player? Well, we, I, I sort of, the first few games I saw him, I really liked him, and then we, uh, James Ducker did a brilliant piece on him interviewing the guy about all the you know the the player the um, the men that had made McTominay and talking to his sort of youth team coach and his primary school teacher and stuff and then he immediately started playing really badly so I don't know what James has done to him in, <laughs> in that interview Curse of the feature writer Pogba on the bench in this match uh, you could interpret that as another chapter in the big book of snubs from Mourinho to his star player is there any way back do you think for their relationship at this point I don't think so. No, I think when they've paid so much money for that guy, and he was so brilliant, and he looks, he looks half, you know, he looks half the player he used to be, didn't he? And I don't really see how, yeah, I don't see how that relationship can be repaired. No, Quite, yeah, Mourinho just doesn't really seem to fancy him at the moment. Do you have any sympathy with the United fans who are just broadly quite miffed with the style of play at the moment at Old Trafford? No. I don't have any sympathy with Manchester United fans. <laughs> How long would it take before you started possibly to feel sympathy for Manchester United fans? How far do we have to get from the imperial phase? Yeah, no, I'm I'm joking really. I mean, I, I do, I do, I do understand that it, it must be extremely frustrating having gone from from that to this. Um, and it's you know, it's not so much the results. It's 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 a it's an ethos. I mean, Manchester United represents something in British football, don't they? And it's well, it's about exciting wide, yeah, well, winning lots of football matches. It's about exciting wide players, and it's about attacking verve, and it's about you know an arrogance and a swagger, and there you know that just isn't isn't the case at the moment, is it? And that. Yeah, that must be, you know. But now you know how the rest of us feel. <laughs> Quite. United will play Spurs in the semi-final. The draw for that has just taken place. Uh, Spurs saw off Swansea 3-0 in the early game on Saturday. No Kane for them. Sonny in for him uh, up front. What, what impressed you about Spurs in this game, Alan? First and foremost, the shooting. They're, they, I don't know what they're doing in practice, but my God, they're absolutely leathering the ball at the goal with monotonous regularity. Sun looks great. I mean, obviously, disappointing not to have Harry Kane, but... I would. I strongly fancy them to beat Manchester United in that semi-final, and I fancy Sun to score. Spurs will play at Wembley, of course. They're home for this year in the cup semi-final. You reckon that that's going to play into their? their so yeah, they're they're the away side of... in their home ground, but which yeah. isn't also their home ground as well. It's all all a bit confusing, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think. Uh, I think that. I don't think that's particularly a factor. I'd fancy them to beat them at Old Trafford, Wembley, anywhere you like, really. What about this issue of the cup keeper, Vorm in? For Tottenham, uh, made one lovely save, uh, but it's an odd role, isn't it? Do you think Lloris will come back in for the semi-final for Spurs? It's, it, it must feel great to get an opportunity, but vaguely patronising at the same time. And you would presumably also be wondering, oh no, is the when the when the, when it gets really important, is he going to ditch me again? And does that inspire you or make you feel a bit nervous about it? From what I saw of this game, Spurs were just basically toying with Swansea for long periods. It's 
it's a treat to see them in full flight like that. But it didn't seem like there was a massive amount of defending going on for Swansea either. Um, I put it to you that Swansea and their manager are not going to be too upset to be out of the cup this year. No, I don't think they could have had any realistic expectations of doing anything in that match and there are bigger fish to fry for them. I mean, Ericsson was so good against them, wasn't he? The way he, he just finds that space and he looked like he was in a different class to them and there's I don't think there's any disgrace in that defeat. No. Uh, it was Wigan that nil Southampton 2 in Mark Hughes's first game in charge of Southampton. Quite a flattering score for Southampton. Wigan were in the game. Did you see any signs of how Hughes is going to set up and what he wants Southampton to do? The problem, I mean, the problem Mark Hughes has got is they've got a lot of attacking, quite lightweight, I guess, or sort of talented, but not particularly Mark Hughesy sort of players. If he's going to try and get them to do a old-fashioned Man United-style Mark Hughes approach to the game with four-two-four and big men thundering the ball in, then I'm not quite sure they've got the personnel for that. I don't ever really sort of feel that I know what what exactly a Mark Hughes team does, other than sort of be kind of okay-ish and come about 14th. So I don't particularly see really what Southampton, what he can bring to Southampton necessarily. It's, it seems like an odd and old-fashioned appointment. It's dispiriting, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm burnt personally, but well, not personally, but he managed QPR and it didn't work out very well for any of us. But what he seems to do is sign a lot of players and, uh, and leave a little bit of a mess behind him. Yeah, and they've got lots, you know, they don't really sign players, do they? They develop players and then shift them on. Is he, is he a coach that's going to improve, I don't know, Nathan Redmond and then get a big prize for him? Doesn't feel like that to me. No, it doesn't seem exceedingly likely. Chelsea will complete the semi-final lineup playing Southampton at Wembley. They beat Leicester 2-1 after extra time. The big topic of discussion in the office as we were watching this was about the kit Chelsea were wearing. They've got a white away kit. Why were they wearing a dark, basically blue kit to play Leicester who were wearing blue? It's absolutely unconscionable. <laughs> They've got that horrible sort of mid-charcoal grey with kind of blue accents on it, making it very difficult uh, to, to see what was going on, I was for that reason alone. I was very much hoping Leicester would win, but they didn't. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with their nice kind of slightly off-white grey away kit. Yeah, absolutely. I've got two other really big important things to discuss uh, about this game. Did you notice that Chelsea are wearing the customised numbers on the back? So if, if you're a Premier League team, you can have your own special number font with your name and numbers on the back that you can wear for the FA Cup. Leicester were just wearing the boring. Premier League uh, numbers. What's this, your take on this, Alan? This, well, this we is need, major. Get off the fence here. This is major. Uh, I don't think that they should be allowed to do that. I think everyone should wear <laughs> uh, wear old, proper old-fashioned numbers and the FA Cup should be for traditional people. Well, in that spirit, what about the return of Leicester's wacky pitch markings? They're not allowed to use them in the Premier League, but the turf of the King Power Stadium was decorated with this beautiful diagonal pattern for Sunday's game. Yeah, it looked amazing, didn't it? It's really nice. Uh, all that sort of diamondy kind of fractal approach. I really like that. I'm a big fan of the groundsman at that, at that ground. <laughs> yeah, he's probably been extremely uh, bored for much of the season. Is it... Is it too basic to say that the FA Cup could do with a little bit more of this stuff? I know it's gimmicky, but uh, I often wonder why we haven't yet in English football gone down the path of retro kits, which is a really big deal in American sport. Like Every team brings out uh, a shirt they wear for special occasions. Yeah, yeah. A few of those makes the FA Cup feel a bit more special again, doesn't it? Yeah, you could sort of make it a kind of heritage product, couldn't you? Sort of like, you know, jam or whatever that people seem to like because it's got, um, it's got, yeah, it's got a retro feel. It's got an old-fashioned 
touch to it. Yeah, get Mary Berry to present it instead of Gary Lineker or something, and maybe <laughs> we're on to a surprise hit. Uh, what about the actual game, Alan? It, it felt like a sort of uh, a proper cup tie, this one. Yeah, it's d- disappointing the, the, Sh- the Schmeichel coming for the ball at the end, wasn't it, and, and muffing that up. Um, it, well, yeah, it was good, quite a decent match, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I very much enjoyed um, Leicester going for it. It felt like they gave it sort of quite a good go, but in the end, uh, Chelsea getting it done, moving on to Wembley. Let us leave the FA Cup behind now and move on to the Premier League. Liverpool 5, Watford 0. Um, an absolute thumping for Watford, um, but Liverpool just a, a joy to watch, really. Salah especially, four goals. He looks unknockdownable at times for want of a word that isn't invented. <laughs> That's a good word. Yeah, I was, I was just reading Joe Gomez saying that teammates, Liverpool teammates enjoy watching him play as much as the fans <laughs> do. Um, I like the idea of them sort of standing around and marvelling at the guy. He is. He just looks so good, doesn't he? I... You know, I can't see how he looks more or less unstoppable. Manchester United managed to sort of defend quite deeply against him, and re- but you know that Watford's approach was the the more traditional school schoolboy kind of approach of having four or five chasing him around all at once, and that did not uh, work at all successfully. Them bit of a goalkeeping rick for uh, one of one of Liverpool's five goals. Uh, Carnes is spilling. Yeah, that was shot. that was the crucial moment. I feel <laughs> it was quite a poor day for goalkeeping overall, though. In in both the competitions, do you think the cold actually matters a bit for keepers more than other players? As a, as a reedy child, I was made to play in goal, and you, I do have memories of just standing there shivering for hours, what seemed like hours on end. Yeah, it's, speaking as a goalkeeper, I, <laughs> I can say that it does uh, it does make it more difficult. Yeah. Quick word on the Champions League draw, Alan. Uh, we will, of course, have an English semi-finalist. Uh, who do you fancy out of Liverpool and City over two legs? I fancy Salah to beat Manchester City. Uh, not De Bruyne? No. Salah, I, Salah all the way. Yeah, I just think, just got a bit of a feeling for him. I yeah, don't know. he's a wonderful man. It was Huddersfield nil, Crystal Palace 2. I was actually at this game trying to... Um, up my number of Football League grounds visited, 77 fact fans. Ooh, how did you enjoy the uh, Huddersfield experience? It, it was a total joy from beginning to end. An absolutely sort of textbook away win for Palace. They they were actually sort of quite bullish in the build-up to it. Um, they were saying, you know, we're, we're really up for this, we know how crucial it is. And I think sometimes when you see that from players going into a game, you worry it's all going to go terribly wrong. But they were, they were very professional. They... Uh, there's there's a look, isn't there, to a team that's going to stay up and get out of trouble. Mm-hmm. And Palace really did look like that team on Saturday. Huddersfield very much did not look like that team. Uh, do you think, um, who do you fancy to go down at the moment? Obviously, along with West Brom, who we'll get on to. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very keen on Huddersfield, um, having been there randomly loads um, to watch football. And I really like David Wagner. I'd really like to sort of meet him on an inter- on an interrailing holiday, um, and just and just stay up really late talking to him about Tangerine Dream and stuff like that. Um, and uh, but yeah, I, I fear for them. Um, Palace, as you say, look quite uh, good value to stay up. I don't know Stoke, mm. West Brom. Huddersfield, maybe. Yeah. What do you think of the telltale signs when you know a team's in trouble and probably going to go down? Oh well, managed by Alan Pardew, probably. Um, in this instance, general lack of sort of any joie de vivre and looking just looking wretched about it all. Huddersfield uh, just suddenly have this look to me of a team that's kind of realised. Oh my goodness, we're in the Premier League. Yeah. We're not quite equipped for it, and I think that's always a 
a dangerous sign. It must it must start to feel like a really long haul, mustn't it? By by April or whatever for those teams, it's just I don't know. Is being is being is not being in the Premier League so bad? I know it's controversial, but like you do, you know, you you get to watch your team win loads of football matches and score goals. And well, you, in theory, not so much for Sunderland. You get uh, to go and have a drink in Brentford and stuff. That's know, true. It's all all right. That's true. It's not so bad. There are some lovely uh, hotels that serve airports in Brentford. It's <laughs> not a terrible place to be. Let's talk about Alan Pardew now. Bournemouth beat West Brom two one on Saturday. Curious decision from Pardew to remove Johnny Evans for Matt Phillips when uh, West Brom were 1-0 up. Yeah, uh, he said he said that Evans had been sick. I don't know. I don't mean he like, vomited on the pitch. I suppose we probably would have noticed that. But um, yeah, it's all curious decisions involving Pardew, isn't it? Not the least of which is why do people keep uh, asking him to be the manager of their team? I mean, it's, it feels, what is it, he's won two in 28 games now across his last two jobs. At some point, the phone will surely stop ringing, but I guess not. You know, not in time for West Brom. Yeah, uh, seven wins in his last fifty Premier League games as a manager was I mean, the stats. It's not a great record, is it? Uh, at, some, at some point, you just have to say, well, maybe he's maybe he's not not very good. Yeah, or just get like you know, I don't know, a passing stranger to do it. I mean, <laughs> it's the, it seems like such a poor record that you do kind of wonder. You know what is what is he bringing to it? How badly would this have to go for Pardew at West Brom for him to stop getting these sorts of jobs in future? Oh, I think he would. I don't think this is bad enough yet, but maybe maybe there's one more go. I guess you know when when Palace next need a manager or a Stoke or something. I don't know. It 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 feels. I guess it's the same with Mark Hughes, isn't it? It's just it's the it's the same old faces, and you're always hearing about how there's no English man, young English managers getting a go, and there's all these guys in. The league below are doing great. Mark Hughes has never been relegated. He's very keen on saying that as often as possible. <laughs> Finally, in the Premier League, it was Stoke City 1, Everton 2. Very snowy up in Staffordshire. So they painted blue lines onto the pitch. But Stoke's massive attack, led by Peter Crouch, uh, couldn't get it done against Everton. A, a real treat to see a weather game like oh, this. Love it. I mean, football is, you know, it's about Salah and Kevin De Bruyne and that. But it's also about Peter Crouch planting a header just wide and then sliding headfirst into the advertising hoardings in the sleet. Watched on by Paul Lambert, who I noticed as a proud Scotsman had got his sleeves rolled up, despite the fact that it was, uh, you know, minus 83 degrees. No hat either. What's he trying to prove? Well, you you know what he's trying to prove. (laughs) I'm not a cold man. That's Paul Lambert's whole (laughs) raison d'etre. A bit naughty from Stoke and a bit confusing to not clear up Everton's six-yard box uh, with snow at half-time, but to do their own. This is a glorious bit of gamesmanship, wasn't it? And it's really confusing because it's unclear who benefits. So our keeper's got snow, but theirs hasn't, but then our forwards do, and then theirs don't, and... Actually, Paul Lambert was working for Internal Affairs all along, and I just just didn't understand. I don't understand the thinking behind it. No, we will ponder that for the entire duration of International Week. British football's traditional home of excitement now. Yes, it's the Championship. Caroline Barker from Channel 5's The Championship is joining us. Caroline, this time last week it was all hotting up at the top, but QPR have put a dent in first Aston Villa and then Fulham's hopes in the last seven days. The Wolves and Cardiff have the automatic spots sewn up now. You don't win anything with kids, do you? QPR, Ian Holloway, has uh, his many hats that he has, has cocked all of them to that at the moment with what they're doing to the league. I love the way that QPR have come in and just gone, fish, bash, bosh, I'm going to ruffle everything up. And when you you look at it now, they're 
now creeping up the table, but they have this impact, as you say, that they've made on those those teams at the top. Wolves, after their, their little wobble, have, have kind of stabilised a bit. They'll be fine. They'll go up, of course, automatically. Should go on to, to win it. But Fulham looked like they were they were closing in. And I've spent the morning speaking to many a Fulham fan. I don't know how I've got associated with a load of Fulham fans as my friends. But all of them whining about yesterday and, and their 2-2 draw with QPR. And I want to turn around to them and say, look where you are. This is this great position that you are, third in, in the league. Look what you could do still. And uh, still they're not happy. But, but you look at the teams and, and the run-ins and I still fancy Fulham to push Cardiff all the way. Maybe not Villa, though, who themselves have, have had that couple of game wobble. Yeah, Neil Warnock called the postponement for Cardiff up at Derby on Sunday a disgrace. He said it wasn't even snowing that much. Do you have any sympathy for him? I have sympathy for the, the fans that made the journey up there. It, it's... Um, it's one of those where you've got to go with the advice, haven't you, of, of those around you. And if they're saying that it's unplayable, I was just reading the, the statement from the EFL too. Those that have been in chat, in talks about it, and the weather has been pretty ropey. I've found it difficult to get into central London myself today in the car. So, you know, and that was a fairly short journey. So you've got to listen to them. They've now got this break, all the teams with it, the international break, and those that have gone into the break and are enjoying it, the likes of Lee Johnson at Bristol City saying, We've got that win. This has come well for us this time now, just, just to regroup and, and we go again. So it's all about how they they use that. Cardiff will, will make that effort again. And you look at the teams that they've got coming up. Wolves in, what, three games' time. That's a, a key one for Cardiff. Burton Albion for them, fighting, scrapping for their lives. Sheffield United too. They've got some tough fixtures coming up. So you can see why it might put his nose a little bit out of joint. Looking down at Burton's end of the table, are we going to be saying goodbye to Sunderland? Are they going to end up in uh, League One next season? Oh dear! I mean, it was, it was silent, wasn't it? You look at them saying about closing the top tier at the Stadium of Light and, and how difficult things have become. It's the fans ultimately you've you've got to feel for, and, and yeah, they're they're adrift, aren't they, down the bottom of the table? And what does Chris Coleman do? Uh, I was listening to the Wise and Say podcast, which if you get a chance to, well worth listening to that too and on they have this kind of relegation swingometer and they're very much resigned to the fact that they're going down but it's now what they do for next season can they hang on to Chris Coleman will he be the, the manager to take them back up into the division above there's so much that club needs to sort out but they've got to get that right first but yeah you think they're gone as for now we've Nigel Clough has said for a long time now that they can play with the freedom because everyone's condemned them going down so if they're playing with a bit more freedom what difference that will have down the bottom but for Birmingham picking up that win so important a first win for Gary Monk and they've got what, Ipswich coming up Bolton and Burton Albion coming up I think they've got fixtures ahead of them you think now they can go on and win and they can make that, that push up the table Caroline can you remember a sorrier situation than that which Sunderland find themselves in? Uh, at the moment abject misery continues doesn't it for Sunderland and and again, it's just the, the fans, if you're sat there watching it and thinking, what can we do? You, you can either vote with your feet, as many have done, and yet still they get healthy crowds. I mean, we say it's sparse, but still healthy compared to the, the rest of the division. Losing to Preston, going down to 10 men. When you see Jake Clark Salter getting sent off, having just come back, and you think, oh, here we go again. And I know that Chris Coleman talked about it. he was... He was trying to get him off the pitch where he picked up that, that second booking. But if you're a fan sat there, and, and yeah, you want your players to fight and, and to scrap for their lives, but the way that they keep getting players sent off, uh, the way that things just keep falling apart, what do you do? You want to go and support your club. You want to try and keep going while there's, there's hope. 
but you might just write it off for the rest of the season. What about Leeds, Caroline? If the, if the league started on Boxing Day, I'm reading here, uh, they, they'd be bottom of it. What's happened to them? Why have they dropped off so badly? So how long have we got for Leeds? There's a Hollywood film in there, isn't there, right? Again, there's a club where you've got to feel for the, the fans. Passionate, passionate fans, great stadium, great history. But how how often do we try and live off that, that history? And they've just got to sort things out, again, off off the pitch. And they'll be all right. Um, clearly, they're, they're not going to get relegated. But you've just got to think, what can they do? in pre-season just to have that clean slate and to start again. But but the problem is, look at that league. I say it's a problem. It's brilliant, isn't it, for neutrals? How many strong clubs are in that league? How many clubs with, with just this, this wealth of history behind them are in that league? And with great fan bases who follow their clubs up and down the country, even when it's snowing, even when it's, it's rotten old weather and they'll keep following them. So... Are you going to blink, make another change? Reading fans are saying it's about, yeah, Stam, do they make a change? Clubs that have gone in and, and, and made that. Look at Hull, look at Nigel Adkins coming in just before Christmas, how he's stabilised and despite that, that defeat yesterday. It's at, at what time do you make that change happen and what good will it be for the, the long term of the club? Anyone going to make a late break for the playoffs, do we think, Carolina? I've got BDI on Millwall. They seem to be uh, sneaking up into contention and Neil Harris is doing his best to play it all down, isn't he? Are you just saying that because Neil Harris also says that no one talks about Millwall, that he doesn't get any publicity? <laughs> I'm just intimidated by Neil Harris. <laughs> uh, I, I know you're going to put the headline of this podcast that has Neil Harris, the greatest manager in the division, right? <laughs> That's how it's going to work. And leave then leave the titles just to about us, you. please, Caroline. <laughs> That's exactly what will happen. Uh, I, I, I like what, what Neil Harris uh, can, consistently does. And I think he's got that little bit. I'd play for him, wouldn't you? If he, you always think when you interview, you speak to a manager, you hear a manager, would I want to play for you? When it's coming up to the 90th minute, when it's coming up to the 90th plus nine minute, as we saw in one of the games yesterday, when it's coming up to that, that crucial time in the game, am I still going to run for you? And I think I would run for Neil Harris. Will they make that late surge? Again, there's so much strength there. So who have we got in there at the moment? Fulham, Villa, Derby, Middlesbrough. And not just strength on the pitch. Look at the old hands, the old managers that are in there too. And then the young guns in Lee Johnson's Alex Neal is Wiley, Chris Wilder. What's, what's happened at Sheffield United? I just think it might be too late for Millwall. But I mean, certainly, if, if anyone can at that, that closing chasing pack, then, then Neil Harris will get that extra bit out of his team. The championship clearly where it's at. Thank you very much, Caroline, for joining us. Pleasure. Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Line Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. The international break is fast approaching and filling us all with great trepidation and excitement for what the home nations may or may not achieve. Gareth Southgate and Ryan Giggs announced their squads this week with some notable omissions and inclusions. To tell us about it now is our deputy football correspondent, Jeremy Wilson. Jeremy, what are the big surprises for you in this England squad? I suppose the most eye-catching things are Joe Hart keeping his place, Danny Welbeck coming in, obviously linked to Harry Kane's omission, but he's not played a lot, not scored a lot for a while. Jack Wilshere coming back in after he's not played since the not played a match since the Iceland game. 
and uh, he's, he's had quite a bandwagon around him, but I don't think his performances have been that good. They've been a bit overrated um, since then. And, and also the, the new faces, I think, Gareth, which I, which I think is encouraging. We can argue about which ones should and shouldn't get a chance, but the fact that Gareth Southgate seems to be looking through the division a bit more than some past England managers is quite refreshing. One of the rugby terms I've learned in the past 12 months is bolter. They love talking about a bolter in the Lions squad, someone who comes from nowhere and makes a place their own. Is there someone who might be described in that way in the England squad? I think there's. I, I think you have to look at the positions where we're a bit weaker, really. So I think centre-back, there's starting places there for people who, who finish the season well. So Alfie Mawson at Swin- Swansea is really impressed and I think... He could have a good chance. And the same in central midfield as well. We know that probably Eric Dyer and Henderson and Deli Alley tends to play a bit further forward. But we're not we're not overstocked in those two positions in particular. So Lewis Cook at Bournemouth's really, really highly rated come has been quite fast tracked into the senior squad. It might be more about experience at the moment. But I think if you're a, a player that's come into the squad a bit bit more of an unknown player if you're a centre back or a centre midfielder that's where you've got the, the best the best hope really they're not enormously sexy names are they that we're, we're, <laughs> we're talking about in the context no. of England should we be no. worried about that I think if you went if you went through your sort of 1966 team the great teams have three or four world class sort of players and I think on a good day with a sort of following wind we might just have a few that you might describe as that obviously Harry Kane Sterling if, if if he performs starting to run out a little bit maybe the the wing back we're quite we, with Walker and the options we've got there and, and are not bad I mean I don't think any and, and I think Eric Dyer is a very good holding midfielder so I'm not we're not obviously saying we're overstocked with with people but I think if Deli Ali Sterling Kane Walker, those sort of players have really big tournaments that, and the others perform to their sort of maximum. You can make a case for us having a, having a sort of outside chance of, of, of going to quarters or better. Certainly not overstocked between the sticks. Southgate said that the number one spot is up for grabs. Surely it won't be Joe Hart come the tournament. That would be one of the most interesting things. It's such a key position and you just sort of hope that someone runs into good form and kind of develops a presence about themselves because it's pretty rare that um, certainly if you look through the teams that have won the Premier League and if you look at World Cups as well, obviously Neuer was such a star last time for Germany. It does happen a bit more in World Cups that a team without a very good goalkeeper can occasionally win the World Cup. But generally in football, you don't really win the big stuff unless you've got a really good goalkeeper and that's a, a big worry for us. Italy and the Netherlands, the opponents for England, how tricky will those matches be? It's difficult to say because it's it's the worst time of year really to judge. It's mid-season, or not mid-season, it's the run-in really. It's, we're, we're right at the sort of business end, as it were, of the season. So the players in all across all countries really have probably got their eyes on other things. They're sort of competent opposition, but I just think with internationals now and with the demands on club football, the only... The only matches where you really learn a lot are the, 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 the qualifiers that when there's something on it and, and in the tournament. So it'll be interesting, to, I suppose, to look at the, the options without Harry Kane. Yeah, I, I'm not expecting to learn an enormous amount about it. How they finish the season will be more relevant and, and just who stays fit. It's a bit of a sort of boring point, but that is often what makes a huge difference come the tournament. 
We should mention Wales's first squad for Ryan Giggs as well uh, as the manager, uh, naming his squad, of course, for the China Cup, which we're all looking forward to very much. Uh, has he made any <laughs> radical changes to uh, the, the Wales I group? I suppose Ramsey not being in it is the most noticeable thing. I think, I mean... <laughs> I was at Ryan Giggs' unveiling and obviously got asked quite a lot about the difficulty of getting players along for friendlies given that he was many years before he played a a friendly for Wales and he kind of talked around the subject a little bit. I think he'll be fairly pragmatic and sympathetic to to the situation. I think Ramsey does get quite a lot of injuries. We, we asked Arsene Wenger about it in his press conference on Wednesday, and he was he was he sort of pretended that a decision hadn't been made, and he didn't, and Ramsey might be able to go, but he was obviously he obviously knew exactly what was going to happen and didn't want him to go. I suppose it is a first sign that the, of the way Giggs is going to handle things with Bale and Ramsey in particular. He's obviously gonna he's gonna from his own experiences be quite sympathetic to the bigger picture, and it and it will be about prioritising the. The matches for him that really matter, which which is not for a while yet, is uh, all the qualification games. So, the China Cup for Wales, it's just it's really the the main importance is is sort of Ryan Giggs getting to know the whole squad. Really, he he probably knows the star players pretty well anyway through various things, having been playing not that long ago in the Premier League and just events that he would have been at. But he, I think getting to know the sort of rest of the squad will be the the big sort of thing for him in China. What better place to do it than China as well? <laughs> a lovely trip for him and the boys. Jeremy, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you. Time for your hero of the week and we will say bravo to Internazionale striker Mauro Icardi who hadn't scored for two whole months ahead of this weekend. He broke that drought spectacularly with four goals against Sampdoria. Incidentally, the same number of completed passes he managed in the match. Takes him to 100 Serie A goals at the age of just 25. Interesting fella, Alan Icardi. Yeah, he's been one of my favourites for a while, actually. Um, he used to play for Sampdoria and then took up with a lady called Wanda Nara, who was married to his then teammate Maxi Lopez, which is very upsetting uh, for everyone, and especially Maxi Lopez, particularly when Icardi then got... Maxi Lopez's three children tattooed on his arm. There was a bit of a row. Um, (laughs) And then when they next played each other, uh, there was a refusal to shake hands, which would have upset Mark Hughes, obviously. And the press dubbed it the Wanda Derby in honour of the lady in question. And Diego Maradona weighed in in favour of Maxi Lopez against... Cardi. So yeah, he just seems like the sort of guy that things happen to. A revenge tattoo, effectively. Not, not even a revenge tattoo, yeah. a sort of rubbing it in no, tattoo. I, but I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure it was meant like that. I mean, I don't know. He just sort of thought, well, the, I'm sort of looking after these children now, so I'll have them tattooed on me. But obviously, Maxi Lopez didn't, you know, wasn't so keen on that idea. We'll have to get him in and ask him all about it. That's all from this episode of Total Football. Join me again same time next week inside your listening device in time for your Monday morning commute. In the meantime, contact me on Twitter at Tom with an H Gibbs if you want some passable online interaction. Don't forget to rate us with five of your precious stars on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to be at the front of the digital queue for new episodes. Our theme tune, as you well know, is Write the Relation by Polvo. Head to Merge Records to buy their music. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.